The Roman Colosseum has been one of the greatest wonders of the ancient modern world. It displayed Rome's power over its subject with great games, sometimes even culminating in death. Fifteen years ago, back in the spring of 2007, I was lucky enough to take a 14-day trip to Italy. One of the first stops was the city of Rome. I walked the Spanish steps, stood in awe of the Trevi Fountain, and heard about the history of the Roman Forum. By far the most awe-inspiring part of the trip was walking through the Colosseum. Appreciating the architecture and wonderment of the space is only part of the experience. It brings you right into the culture at the heart of the largest empire the world has seen at its peak of domination. You could imagine thousands of Romans cheering, the swords of gladiators clanging together, and the power of the emperor all in one place. But what events led up to its creation or construction? One of the most pivotal moments in the city's history was the burning of Rome. It leads to the construction of a palatial palace by one of Rome's most notorious leaders. His name was Nero and he has gone down in history as a tyrannical, selfish, and irresponsible emperor. But that is only part of the story. The historical bias of even Roman historians themselves was aligned against this young leader. Why is his story important? There would have been no Emperor Vespian or even the will to build the Colosseum without the actions and stories of Nero. This bonus episode leads us into our fourth episode in our Roman series about the Colosseum. It also analyzes whether Nero was truly what history has depicted him as. Relax and enjoy our bonus episode and become immersed in the story of Emperor Nero. You are watching. Is history watching the podcast? History for everyone, but our point of view. The year is A.D. 37. On December 15th, Lucius, Domitus, and Obarbus was born to his parents, Agrippina the Younger and Father Ganes. Lucius, who would later become Nero, lived the first three years of his life with his mother and father. His father, a former Roman consul, died, and his mother was banished by Emperor Caligula. He was left in the care of an aunt to which there is not much written. Once Emperor Caligula was murdered by his son, Claudius ascended to the throne and mother and son were reunited again. This is where his life turns to murder and ambition, but mostly on the part of his mother Agrippina. In AD 49, she was married to Emperor Claudius, who was also her uncle, and saw to it her son was adopted by him, giving him the new name of Nero. Well, it was not known then, Nero would become the last of the Julio-Claudian dynasty started by Emperor Augustus. Nero's ascension to the throne comes in several steps. First, Emperor Claudius died, reportedly from a poison mushroom served to him by his wife Agrippina. Nero also married Claudius's daughter Octavia, which secured him as the rightful heir to the throne, even over Claudius's biological son Britannica. Here is where Nero's story begins, his legacy of deceit and bloodshed. Although there is no written proof, Roman historical writers state that Nero killed his stepbrother to secure his position as emperor. But two things need to be considered at this early stage of his reign. The health problems of Britannica and historical perspective. It was written that Britannicus had suffered from seizures and could have suddenly passed away from complications related to this affliction. But the more obvious explanation is that Britannicus was doomed from the start. The murder of a family member of high society who could have claimed to the throne 
thus threatening the ruling emperor, was considered an acceptable form of political intrigue at the time. Looking at it from centuries later, it is hard to imagine murder as an acceptable form of political rivalry. But different societies create different rules of their time. This does not, however, justify Nero's next actions in the eyes of even his countrymen. After the murder of his stepbrother, his wife Octavia is banished and later murdered under the pretext that she is barren and is plotting against him. A flimsy excuse still today. Murder of your wife and stepbrother is horrendous enough, but the truly unforgivable crime of the time was matricide. During the beginning of his reign, Nero was happy to leave the running of the sprawling empire to his three main advisors, including his mother Agrippina. He was only 17 at the time of his ascension and was more interested in art, athletics, and being young rather than ruling. This gave his mother considerable power and control over the mechanisms of the empire. Coins of the time of his early reign were minted with both faces on them, showing a true partnership and sharing of power. This, however, changed two years into his reign when he saw her accumulation of power as plotting against him. She was taken off newly minted coins and banished from the palace and formal events. The story of her murder goes like this. Nero first convinced the navy to build a vessel that would collapse once out to sea with his mother on it condemning her to a watery grave. But the problem was, Agrippina was an excellent swimmer and was able to swim to shore in what she thought was safety. Once the initial plot had failed, soldiers were sent to dispose of her the old-fashioned way, with a sword. No one can know what was ordered by her son or even his advisors behind his back, but she is reported to have said to the soldiers, If you have come to see me, take back word that I have recovered, but if you are here to do a crime, I believe nothing about my son. He has not ordered his mother's murder. Whatever was said, the murder of his mother occurred and cements his legacy as a murderer and despot in the eyes of history. But that is not the whole story. His most devious act has yet to take place. And this is what we will talk about next, the burning of Rome. Night has fallen in Rome on July 18, AD 64. It's warm and muggy. The shops around the Circus Maximus are closing, and shop owners are returning home from a long day. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote that the shops sold and were full of flammable goods. A true cause of the start of the fire is unknown to this day, but blame has been laid by historians for decades solely on Nero's shoulders. Fire ripped through three of Rome's 14 districts and seven more were severely damaged. It burned for nine days and even consumed part of the emperor's palace and the temple of Jupiter Stator. Giving more ammunition to the Nero naysayers, it was recorded that while his city burned, the emperor was seen singing and playing his fiddle on stage in his garden near the palace. While nearly two-thirds of Rome was burned, hundreds of people died, and thousands more were left homeless, their great leader was singing and enjoying the show. The most damning evidence in the argument for laying blame on Nero was the palace he started to construct on the same ground that was just burned. After the fire, Nero controlled several of the neighborhoods that were just burned to the ground. He chose there to construct a sprawling palace compound covering 200 acres of land, 
including the higher income or high society sections of Rome. The Domus Aurea, also known as the Golden House, was an incredible palace overlaid with gold and full of art. The land around the palace contained gardens, pools, and spaces for wild animals. Construction of the palace compound was recorded to have nearly broke the empire. Roman historians have used this construction project to further their campaign to blame Nero for the worst fire in Roman history. If that is not enough, history reports that Nero even forced the blame on early Christians, living within the empire and executing them in horrendous ways. Tacitus wrote, and it was translated to say that mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Christians were covered with skins of beasts and torn apart by dogs, nailed to a cross to perish, or used as human lights being burned by flames for illumination after the sun went down in the city. This is thought by early Christians to be the start of the hatred, murder, and discrimination thousands of future Christians would face in the empire. So there you have it. The argument for Nero being one of history's most notorious despots, tyrants, and murderers. Evidence seemingly is in favor of this fact being true. He did commit murders to keep and maintain power, and he did build a lavish palace compound. But evidence even from ancient sources can be biased, fanatical, and incorrect. Let's now talk about Nero the Man. So why is it important to talk about Nero the Man? History has portrayed him as nothing but a despot and a tyrant. Even modern historians, even poets and playwrights cast him in the same role. But what about his point of view? Let's talk about his story from the beginning. He was 17. His newly adopted father was just murdered, apparently, by his power-hungry mother, who then pushed him forward to become the most powerful man in the most powerful empire at the time. He was given the purple toga at a very young age. He had no training or no experience in ruling such a vast and powerful empire. Was it what he wanted, or was it what his mother wanted? But with the power and money came the ability to evolve himself in interests that were squarely his own. According to some historical accounts, they included chariot racing, singing, poetry, and playing the sitara. The sitara was a stringed instrument like the lyre, but more complicated to play and master. Think about violinists today, how long they train, and how hard it is to become a master. He was more in tune with the culture of Greece than the subjects of Rome. He found Greek culture more artistic and sophisticated than the blood and conquest culture of the empire he was ruling. He even took his hobbies very seriously. He worked on vocal exercises, avoided foods that would cause harm to his vocal cords. Even his poetry was deemed quite good by later Roman poets, including Marshall. It was not just his artistic approaches, but he was also thought of as an accomplished athlete. He was said to have piloted four to ten horse chariots in races and maybe even won some. At the time, this was no easy feat. Compare it to modern race cars. The skill, practice, and training it takes to drive them, let alone win races. So what does this all say about Nero? It describes a determined, dedicated, intelligent, and ambitious young man who may have been thrown into a position he was not ready for or did not even desire. Even his chosen few in the early reigns of his empire seemed to completely and competently run the empire for him. But all things that seem well 
have to come to an end. Unfortunately, Roman society has a bloodlust ingrained into its very fiber. If you look even back to the early days of the Republic, Rome's power came from conquest. They seemed to derive their own self-worth from seemingly endless war and bloodlust. So an artistic, athletic young emperor who held Greek ideals over Roman power and blood would, for the elite at least, become a major problem. Okay, so he was a competent artist and athlete, but the power also got to him. As mentioned, earlier in his reign, he went through a period of murder, killing his mother, brother, and his first wife. Can we look at it from the viewpoint of the world in which he lived? There were no mechanisms to discredit people in the eye of the public, like there are today. The elimination of threats to their power was steeped in history and very Roman to its core. Let's look at an example. Emperor Augustus. I would say his hands were so bloody that the ocean itself could not wash them clean. And he's said to be one of the best emperors. Early in his reign, he allowed purges to occur. He would create a list of enemies of Rome, and with proof came a reward. What was that proof? Usually came in the form of cut-off body parts, even heads. This cultural acceptance of murder can help to explain but not condone the thinking of Nero at his time. But the question remains whether an individual who did not seek power, loved arts and performing, was an accessory to murder, or even ordered the murders, would actually harm thousands of people he was sworn to protect. So we have arrived at the big question. Did he do it? Two arguments exist as to whether or not Nero started the fire. Historical accounts from the time show Nero was out of Rome when the fire started. He was vacationing at Antium, also today called Anzio. When word of the fire reached him, he is said to have rushed home and taken charge of the firefighting efforts. Historical accounts portray him as a concerned and well-meaning leader of the Roman people. Immediately after the fire, he introduced laws that aided the victims. His law made new building codes that would make Rome less vulnerable in the future. He took in homeless refugees into the field of Mars and even his palace gardens. He brought in food from neighboring towns to feed the citizens at the government's expense. Then came the act that would further define him as a despot in the eyes of history. Nero took to his private stage and began to sing the sonnet he had written about the sack of Troy. People at this point get the grimmest views of the young emperor. The question is, was it taken out of context by historians? Let's take a look at the evidence. Nero was at his heart a performer and a lover of arts. He loved to perform for the people of Greece on his many trips and wanted Roman people to love his performances as well. The city had just gone through a significant tragedy, leaving even wealthy Romans homeless. Nero had led the firefighting efforts, secured food, and opened his private gardens to the homeless. What if the performance was an attempt to calm the masses? To provide some music and happiness to an otherwise terrible situation. Jump back to modern times. Let's pick one of the major hurricanes that swept through the U.S. in the last decade. Remember the celebrity television shows where they perform for free to get citizens to donate money for relief efforts? Could his performance, maybe ill-timed, has been his way of helping after relief efforts were underway. He would have been a celebrity of his time, a young, powerful emperor who was also an artist and performer. 
A famous ancient Roman source to write about Nero's fiddling by the fire incident was Tacitus in his work, The Annals. But here lies the problem. Tacitus was very anti-Nero and biased against him from the start for being too Greek. The fact is the performance was a mistake and cast him forever in the shadow of a despot. But is there or more evidence of his fatal flaw? How about the house he was having built over the ruins of the house of the flames destroyed? The project, as earlier mentioned, would name the Domus Aurea. And as mentioned earlier, it was a palatial mansion with too many rooms, a private garden and zoo, large pools, baths, all for seemingly one man and his small family. But here again, let us look at it from another point of view. Was the house to become a center of Rome where the average citizen could enjoy the wonders of the empire? Archaeological work being done on the site has unearthed magnificent frescoes and paintings depicting the people and splendors of Rome. Let us jump again back to modern times. Take New York City, for example. They have a zoo, several museums, a central park, sports arenas, and the list goes on. My hope is that the Golden Palace, or the Domus Aurea, was a major public work project that would have benefited the city itself. Again, the timing was the problem, and the fact that his private re residence would have been located on the same property. However you feel about Nero, the story is truly more complicated to understand than what we see displayed in the movies and plays. He was far too young and inexperienced for the role he was cast in. His priorities lay with his artistic voice rather than running of the empire he was in charge of. But the fact remains, he did murder his own family and had a horrible sense of timing. But I hope to believe he was a well-meaning with his response to the fire in the building of the Palatial Palace. Only history can tell us the true story by finding a first-hand account or written word of the emperor himself to shed true light on the tragedy. Whatever happened is buried in history and time, and only the legend and name survive for the ages. So what is Nero's link to the wonder that became the Colosseum? I would argue without his actions after the fire that destroyed Rome, there would be no Colosseum in that location. The palace that was constructed during Nero's reign could not have occurred before the fire. If this palatial construction project did not occur to bring down the emperor himself and cause him to commit suicide, there would have been no space or need to construct such a grand amphitheater. This, of course, is a historical what-if. But the embarrassment at the end of Nero's reign is what caused the palace to be destroyed and the lake to be filled in for the location in the center of the city. What was this great embarrassment? After numerous insurrections, supposed conspiracies, and an empty imperial treasury, the Roman Senate finally declared Nero an enemy of the state. Nero finally decided to commit suicide, but failed and needed help taking his own life. What occurred next is known as the Year of the Four Emperors. That is where our story will pick up in Episode 3. It's funny to see the story continues through the life of the entire empire itself. Towards the end of its life, in the 400s AD, similar situations occur, with many people proclaiming themselves as emperors and vying for the throne. The senates of both the East and West would use their ability to declare them enemies of the states 
to condone the murder and ascension of other people. But as a story for another time. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode in our Roman series. Remember, history comes alive with those who embrace, study, and interpret the past. You have been listening to his History Watching the Podcast. This discussion can also be read on our companion blog site at heytheritshistory.com. Remember to leave us a positive review on your favorite streaming service.